When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Podcast. What is up, lacrosse fans? You're watching episode 132 of the Lax Factor Lacrosse Podcast, and today we are going to preview uh, week 1.5, kind of. I think last week was technically that weird week they call week zero in college lacrosse, so I think this is technically the first week, although who knows. So we're just going to call it week 1.5, and we're just going to guess on the weeks until I see officially what other people are saying so that we follow the right pattern, but we have... Friday's game, Denver at Duke. Saturday's game, Towson at UVA. It's not a great matchup because Towson was had one of the worst starts ever uh, the year before last year in the COVID-shortened season, but we get to see UVA and what they look like. And then Sunday's game, Denver at UNC, and then uh, Bobby Moe is going to play Duke and things like that. But the, the main games I want to talk talk about, Denver at Duke, Towson at UVA, and Denver at, UV, uh, at UNC. Before I get into it, as always, go to laxfactor.com. You can support the podcast, get swag. We have uh, t-shirts. We have shorts. I've said that out of sequence. And we have, uh, you know, branded t-shirts as well. So you can go to laxfactor.com. As always, just like, subscribe, and then hit that little notification bell so you're notified when we put out videos. And if you want to listen to the audio version, go to anchor.fm forward slash laxfactor. But you can find us audio-wise anywhere they have podcasts, Spotify, Apple, Google, you name it, we're there. So to get right into this here, we have number five at number one Duke Friday night, our uh, happy hour game, as everybody's calling them. And I mean, overall, the story of this game is Denver's already played and they played poorly against a team in Utah that played brilliantly. It was a, a, a big mismatch. Denver really should have put it on Utah, but Utah came out and played their best game and Denver came out and really kind of played their worst game. They can't do that against Duke. They won against Utah. They cannot do that against Duke. Denver started really slow like they did against Utah, against UNC last year, and went down 5 nothing. spotted UNC five goals pretty much. They can't do that. They have to come out and start quickly. So that's, you know, because if they play poorly against Duke, Duke is going to put the hurt on them. Uh, historically, since 2014, Duke leads the series 4-3. to three. Duke's won the last three meetings. Denver won the three meetings prior to that. The largest margin of victory over that span, because I was thinking these are going to be a bunch of one-goal games, but they really weren't. Uh, the largest uh, span was uh, Denver beat Duke by 5, 14-9 in 2017. The closest game over that span, Duke won by a goal in 2019, so that's not bad. Over seven games, the average margin for the victor was three goals. It's 21 goals spread out over seven games separated these two teams. So more often than not, it was a two to a four-goal game or so separating these guys. So they, they always play tough, but there's not a whole lot of just dog fights. Um, I think they did play a one goal game in 2019 that Duke won. Uh, I think it was 10 to nine that year. So 
keys to this game for Denver? What does Denver have to do to give them a chance to win this game? They need to play fast and aggressive coming out of the gate. A lot of times keys to the game are, are similar because, you know, you're, you're always trying to not, call, you know, not turn the ball over and, you know, stop transition and get up the field in trans- transition. But in this case here, specifically, Denver needs to be aggressive, dodge fast, dodge hard, dodge aggressively to the cage because they just didn't attack the cage in the first half against Utah. I think they did a little better in the second quarter, but it didn't really translate into points outside of a goal. So I think what Denver really needs to focus on is come out against Duke a little bit more desperate in your dodging to try to just get that extra step, push down the alley, and maybe get into the body of your defender a little bit. Do anything they can to just try to get front and center in front of the goal. And then the second key to the game, get quality shots on cage. There was a lot of times where they had what appeared to be scenarios in which they had good shots and they just put cupcakes on the cage or they sailed them. Hannah sailed a couple over the cage. Kotler put a couple of cupcakes on goal. So Denver just has to do a better job of getting good shots on cage and then defensively stay home and more importantly than anything else play good help defense one of the things I talked about uh in the the recap for their Utah game was that they they slid often and they slid early almost automatic and now I'm thinking about it maybe that was part of the design they're about to play two teams where they have deadly Dodgers Duke more so uh with Mike Sauer so maybe that was part of their game plan let's slide early let's slide often uh, so that we, we're not getting beat and, and get, getting caught in half slides because half slides is where uh, Duke is going to kill you with Mike Sowers popping balls over the top to open uh, step-down shooters, and they have step-down shooters all over the place at the Duke midfield. So defensively, just got to play good and stay home. Duke, keys to the game for Duke. Take care of the ball, partly just because it's their first game. First game out, you got a bunch of new personnel, Mike Sowers in the mix here. They just got to take care of the ball. Make sure you're watching feeds into your stick. I I feel like you may end up seeing when teams are dusty, a good feed goes uncaught or doesn't get caught cleanly because guys' nerves are getting the best of them. So just take care of the ball. Play settled. Take care of the ball. Let the game come to you, and then you'll score points. Uh, The other thing I think Duke has to worry about is getting guys comfortable. I think last year I had talked a lot about how that second midfield line looked a lot better, uh, early, especially early in the season, which is all we really got, than that first midfield line to the point where that second midfield line actually swapped and became the first midfield line for a couple of games maybe. or I don't, I don't remember exactly. I know that I saw that the midfield lines each – had different games started and, and all of them had had games started. So anyway, I think part of that is they're going to have a lot of dudes on the field. They're going to play a lot of people. And when you play a lot of people, it's hard for people to get in a rhythm and to get comfortable. Usually attackmen are able to hit that rhythm. Midfielders will have a harder time. And Duke could go three midlines deep at times to just try to get everybody in, get everybody involved in the game, figure out early on who's going to fit where. So I think that that's going to be one of their keys is making sure guys are comfortable you know, within that first half without taking them out of a flow that could prevent them from maybe putting some goals up in that first half. Denver's known quantities, guys that Duke is going to have to look out for, which we kind of talked about them last week, but hey, let's go again. Jungle Jack Hanna, three goals and an assist last week versus Utah. Last year versus Duke, six goals and a helper in a 15-3 loss at Duke. Another guy, Ethan Walker, two goals and an assist last week versus Utah. Last year versus Duke. Two goals and three helpers. So Walker feeding more than he was uh, scoring against Duke last year in that same 15-3 loss. We also have Jackson Morrill. He didn't face Duke, 
last year. But Morrow goes one and two last week against Utah. Looked good, especially in that second half where everybody started looking good. Uh, his last meeting, and I don't know if this is technically his last meeting with Duke, but this is the most notorious one. One assist in the national championship in 2018, a game that Yale won, but he only had one assist in after tearing it up that season as they're, they're kind of their second best player. Uh, so he's going to play big. They're going to watch him. Uh, Jack Thompson, goalkeeper for Denver, 58% save percentage against Utah. Last meeting versus Duke was atrocious. Three saves versus five goals against. He split halves with Cole French, who played worse. Three saves against uh, 10 goals. So Jack Thompson, he played well against Utah last week. He's going to hope to play well against Duke. He's going to have to play well against Duke. He's going to need 12 to 15 saves if Denver's going to have a shot against Duke. That's almost for sure. And then I think another key, uh, because he was disappointing last week, is uh, Alex Stathakis. He's the kind of the guy who's taking the faceoffs for Denver right now. He really needs to split him with Duke. He went 7-14 last week against Utah. I expected him to win you know, well over half. I figured he'd go, you know, 10 of 14 in a game like that. He goes seven of 14. He needs to do at least that against Duke. Uh, his last meeting against Duke, he was 12 of 27. So he was close. He needs to win a couple more faceoffs than that. He can't, he can't go under 50% against Duke. I don't think because it's going to, Duke's going to put up points. They're going to put up points in bunches in spurts. So he's going to have to try to limit their possessions. That's going to be important. Uh, Duke's known qualities, uh, known quantities, sorry. Mike Sowers, we know about that. Last year, 16 goals, 31 helpers, and uh, you know just a boatload of points for Princeton. Dyson Williams, he played Denver last year, 3-1. and one, uh, Last season overall, 25-5. and five. The dude's a goal scorer. Owen Caputo, he's one of the dudes on that second midline that played so well. Uh, last year against Denver, he was their leading scorer, three goals and three helpers. And uh, uh, overall last year, 12-8 and eight for 20 points. So Caputo, one of the guys that anchored that second midline that at some point became the first midline, a very solid midfielder. And you have back also Manown. Uh, Manown last year, three goals against Denver, 14-4 and four on the season last year. And then Robertson's back. He was injured in 2020, but he went 4-1 and one against Denver in 2019 in a one-goal win. Uh, JT Giles Harris, he's the key for him is going to be don't try to do too much. Denver's probably going to avoid him a little bit, and he just has to make sure he's doing what he can on the wherever he is on the field in that moment. Uh, top dogs like him tend to play a little bit rough off ball when they try to do too much. So you can kind of take a top dog out of his game by trying to to get them moved around, trying to avoid them, get them frustrated, uh, or avoid them to the point where the first real dodge they see is at a key point. Uh, when they haven't really gotten any any type of real warm up or game flow yet, so just make sure that you do good. Last time against Denver, just three ground balls, two cause turnovers because people avoid him. Uh, so that, that's that's big. Uh, Mike Adler in cage, I believe that's who we're going to see start for Duke here. St. Joseph's transfer, big deal here because you know we we ha- they have the pers- uh, the chance to have a goalie that can make. 55 to 60 percent of his saves last year 59 percent for Adler uh, against Penn last year 13 goals against 59 percent save percentage off 19 saves uh, in a one goal loss to Penn that was their last regular season game and then the only other tough team St. Joseph's played last year or real tough team I should say he had 12 saves against Penn State in a 19-4 loss but he, he gave up 16 goals made 12 saves that's not that bad against Penn State in a huge route like that I think another key for Duke is going to be uh, Jordan Jinder I don't know who their faceoff guy is going to be I know they had a transfer in I think as well so last year Jinder against Denver 18 to 28 
Uh, overall, 59% faceoff uh, percentage last year for Jinder. So he was solid. So I think they did add a transfer to that mix. So they have depth at that spot. So that's going to be key. And then, you know, who knows? Brendan O'Neill, a couple other guys uh, that will end up factoring as well. Will, will O'Neill uh, play on attack? Will he come out of the box? Will he do a little bit of both? That will be interesting. Now, my prediction in this game is – actually, I'm going to set the line first. I'm going to try to do lines again. I'm going to be a little bit more reserved this time. I'm going to spot Denver two and a half goals. So I'm saying Duke at, at uh, minus two and a half. My predicted score, though, I'm thinking Duke 15 to 11. I think that Duke is, is, has been typical. I think that Denver playing a game before Duke isn't going to help them as much as you would think. I think Duke's going to maybe – have a hard time early, pick it up somewhere between the second and third quarter, and then finish off 15-11. That's my predicted score. I think both teams are going to have some crap moments overall in the first half, uh, but I think that Duke ends up winning out once they get settled, find their find their their voice, so to speak, and I think that in the end that's going to help Duke out. So 15-11, that's my prediction. Uh, don't take that to the bank because, as you all know, I suck really bad at predictions. Let me get a drink. All right. Next game up, Towson at number six, Virginia. As I said, this should technically be a route. Towson last year, one of the worst starts they've ever had in the program history. I think they started 0-6. I talked about how they could have gone 0-9. I still say, though, I think they were one of the best 0-6 teams to ever play the game. I think they just had a bad run with the schedule, and they were down a little bit. Uh, but even UVA was coming off a rough start last year. They didn't start hot like 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 some people had thought they were going to. So, you know, Virginia comes into this a heavy, heavy favorite. Historically, they haven't played, not since I could find, and I wasn't going back past 2014 where inside lacrosse had the games up. Towson keys to the game, and this is going to be really generic here. Take care of the ball. UVA is going to be playing aggressive on defense, and if Towson can't take care of the ball, it's going to hurt them in the next area that they need to take care of, which is limiting UVA's transition. Keep Ian Laviano away from those celebrations where he's scoring goals in transition or someone else's, and he's doing spins in the air, jumping on piles and crap. Don't let Ian Laviano be the spark plug by burning you in transition. Take care of the rock. That will limit the transition plays that Virginia gets a shot at. Uh, but, you know, they also just try to need to try to get their butts back on defense. If UVA is going to run one way or another with a guy like Connors at LSM and their defense is just aggressive, forces turnovers. So they need to uh, limit limit transition and take care of the ball. And those things are kind of one and the same. Uh, Virginia's keys to the game. Play fast and loose. UVA just has to come out and play their game. I think last year they played a little tight. I think they need to come out, play fast, play aggressive. They're at their best when they're playing. You know, they're 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 getting transition looks. They're pushing tempo, running slow breaks, and hitting trailing midfielders and things like that. Uh, yeah, I'll talk about UNC. They're really good at that as well. But they just need to take advantage of the matchups as they get them before teams get settled in their in their defense and then go. And uh, Matt Moore will handle some of that now. Towson's known quantities, not as many as UVA has overall, but Brody McLean's back. Uh, I believe he's a graduate student now. Uh, he was nine and three last year, thirty nine and six in twenty nineteen. Back when they had Brendan Sunday and a bunch of other guys on offense that could generate. He needs help from dudes like Austin Stewart. Stewart one goal and eight assists last year. So you know McLean's a guy who needs someone to carry, dodge, get separation, feed him the ball. It, they can do it within the system, but someone beating somebody is key for a guy like McLean. So if he's going to have success, a guy like Stewart, some of the other attack and middies need to as well. Kobe Smith, obviously, kid's a monster. 
He needs to be disruptive, but just like I said about JT Giles Harris for Duke in the Denver game, he also needs to not try to do too much. Don't get caught in that trap of we're avoiding you, you're getting bored, you're you're mad that we're losing, and now you're going to try to do much and make it worse. He needs to stay home, handle his business where he is in the field, lead that team, and 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 get better with that defense as they go. His stats, though, are crazy. Uh, last year, two goals, three assists with a long pole, uh, 11 ground balls, three cost turnovers. And in 2019, he was six goals, four helpers, 30 ground balls, and 20 cost turnovers. He'll have a hard time getting to 20 cost, cost turnovers again in his career because people are going to avoid him uh, like AIDS in the 1980s. Um, Virginia's known quantities, and now we've got a lot of these here. Matt Moore, last year, 19 and 16, career 84 goals, 74 dishes. UVA's best all-around player, one of the best in the country players, one of the best in the country. So he needs to be big, and he will most likely be big. He, he, I think he was, he was their leading scorer last year. Now that I think about it, in 19 and 16, he's a true triple threat. Dude can dodge, very sneaky dodger because he's not a shifty, quick dude. He just beats dudes. He's got a really quick first step. It almost seems like smooth strides get him to the cage. So he's not shifty. He's sneakily quick footed and uh, get steps on dudes and then he just goes to the rack great at wrapping around from behind coming up a side and then he can step down as well you know if he's playing off ball and uh, someone else is drawing some eyes and he's on the backside he can snipe as well with the best of them Ian Laviano their spark plug uh, 11-3 last year, 99 goals and 23 assists over his career so far. Great finisher, deadly in transition. Not going to burn you with the dodge, but he is a truly a utility off-ball player. He's not necessarily going to snipe from outside either. He's a cutter, uh, a duck under, uh, you know, pick and slip kind of guy. So watch out for Laviano, but he will snipe shit on fast breaks from uh, – from the corner up there on the on the right side off the wing. So he's deadly. Doc Aitken, great news for UVA that Doc Aitken's coming back. 9 and 1 last year, got kind of a, a a slow start, but 121 goals and 32 helpers over his career. Just a great all-around midfielder, great between the boxes. He's not Ryan Conrad between the boxes, but he is much better than your average midfielder just overall being on the field in every situation, far more capable than most. Uh, so he's big. Peyton Cormier, who really benefited from playing with Docs last year, he was their leading scoring midfielder, 12-7, and seven, played great uh, alongside Aiken, and uh, I presume he'd do so again. I don't think you're going to see him on attack, but you might. I think you might see Schellenberger down on attack and Cormier staying at midfield because he really did. He looked good on the midfield, midfield for U, UVA last year. Uh, defender Kyle Kologi, or Kologi, I think it's Kologi. Uh, last year, 12 cost turnovers, 16 ground balls. He benefits because teams can't keep avoiding Connors wherever he's roaming around the field, beating on people. So Kologi ends up getting to beat on someone and take the ball away from someone almost every game. 6'4", 225 pound fellow, big part of this kind of fly all over the field and beat people up defense. Connors, as we said, 28 ground balls, 10 cost turnovers, three goals and a dish last year in the shortened season over his career. 193 ground balls, 58 cost turnovers, 16 goals, and 9 assists. One of the best LSMs in the country. One of the best dudes carrying a pole in the country. Can take the ball away. Can help on defense. uh, Can slash legally and get away with it, which is very important. And gets upfield with the best of them. So that's important. And then another key for UVA, and this is going to be all year, is Alex Rode. The kid's got a national championship under his belt. The year after winning a natty, he ended up getting benched for a couple of games, or at least one game. Then he came back and played insanely well again 
uh, or, or played better uh, uh, anyway. So anyway, he got a starting position back. He wins a natty. Like, how many goalies that have won a national championship end up taking as much crap as I think Road has? But at this point, man, he is a seasoned vet. He was 55% last year, 79 saves, average nine goals against at a time. If, if he can stick in that area, UVA is going to do well. If he can get himself up to 57 to 60%, UVA is going to be looking at two or three in the ACC, uh, it, it, just that small change in his uh, in his save percentage could help them a great deal. My prediction in this one, I'm setting the line at this one at UVA minus six and a half. So I'm spotting thousand six and a half goals. Uh, my predicted score, if it goes well and it goes according to plan, I'm thinking UVA 16-6. I think it might end up being a little closer early than you would think just because teams are going to be sloppy. But Towson's going to be sloppy as well, and UVA is just loaded all over the field. So I'm going with 16-6 for this one, but I'm only spotting Towson for this uh, six and a half points. Uh, So, I mean, yeah, I think that's good. I think that's better. That's more reasonable. Everything in my being was telling me to spot spot Towson nine, ten goals, but that never works out for me. So I'm trying to be measured in my line setting here this week. And I only do this for fun. Like I said, I'm just trying to see how close I can get these things. All right. The next game, and this is the one I might be the most excited for. I think I'm most excited for Friday's game because it's sooner and it's a Friday night. But Sunday's game, number five, Denver at number four, North Carolina. Denver's just killing it. They're playing their third game in, what, eight days at this point? Uh, And then two of those games are going to be against top four teams and number four, Carolina, and number one, Duke. So that's crazy. Uh, so Denver is going to be tired, but they ought to start kind of hitting a stride at this point. They're going to you know, know who they are offensively at this point. So I think that by that point, it'll help them. Historically, Denver holds a 4-3 advantage over their last um, seven meetings against uh, UNC. So that's pretty big. Keys to the game for Denver. And once again, it's not don't start slow against UNC like they did last year. Last year, they were down, I think, 5-0, 6-1 at one point, even after they chipped back. Uh, and they, they barely saw the ball in that stretch. Every time UNC went, came down the field, every other time they scored, Denver would get the ball in their end, take a bad shot, turn the ball over. They can't do that. Just like we said, they can't do that against Duke. They, you can't do that against good teams, and Denver tends to do that over the last couple of seasons. So they got to start, start quick. Don't play like dirt in the first quarter, first half, heaven forbid. Uh, get out there and play ball right away. Now, I didn't mention Denver trying to control Sowers or anyone specific on Duke because you're not going to control Sowers. You just have to play all around good D and then try to outscore Duke overall. I think against UNC, I think if you limit Gray and Solomon's touches a little bit, and you could do that through maybe selective shutoffs as the ball's getting moved around, um, maybe you just play uh, Gray really tough off ball because he tends to do a lot of damage off ball as he lets the game come to him, a very patient player. Solomon, 13 and 16 last year, so he's kind of a 50-50 threat. So I think those two are going to hurt them the most, but I think Denver, if they give them a little bit extra attention, try to limit their touches where they can, they may be able to take UNC out of their game a little bit. We'll see what happens there. Uh, And then limit, just again, limit transition, partly because no one's better at getting into a slow break situation, letting middies fill in on the field in the sub situations, and then finding open mids out top for step down shots. So they really have to limit that transition, get back on defense, spot up, find a man, match up, make sure everybody's good. Don't let UNC get those easy step down shots out of the midfielders because it will kill them. And then UNC's keys to the game, because it's UNC's first game at that point and Denver's third, 
Uh, UNC, just limit your turnovers. Let the game come to you. Don't try to do too much. Last year against Denver, they only turned the ball over 14 times, which isn't bad against a good, solid defensive team like Denver. So limit the turnovers, and uh, especially because it's your first outing. And then get better goalie play. You know, uh, Johnson, if he plays like he did in, in his freshman season, giddy up. If he plays like he did in 2020, that might be what Denver needs to start getting comfortable, start seeing some goals hit the back of that net, and that could open them up a little bit offensively, and UNC does not want to let that happen. They don't want to give Denver any um, confidence. Uh, known quantities for Denver, we already talked about them. You already know them. All the same guys. They all have to factor. They all have to factor heavily. Known quantities for UNC, and once again, this is a long list. We have Chris Gray, 27-21 and 21 last year over seven games, one of the best in the country across all facets of the game. True triple threat, but does a lot of damage off ball. Very patient, insanely high lacrosse IQ, and a very capable finisher in all sorts of weird ways. Again, not that crazy lighting the lamp at 105-mile-an-hour shot, just a accurate shot, puts the ball where it needs to be. He's one of those dudes who's just good at getting balls past goalkeepers. So Gray's going to do damage. They got to pay extra special attention to him. Nikki Solomon last year against Denver, two goals in the game last season, 13 and 16 overall. He became a true 50-50 triple threat as well. Guy can finish feed, really great at getting separation. Just a quick dude, great dodger. Tanner Cook, Last meeting, three assists against Denver. Last season, 20-7. and seven. Big boy, finds matchups, bulls people, and love one of those dudes that loves letting the dudes get draw heads and then just, you know, he'll get a ball out top, uh, you know, from, from a guy behind or something like that and will step down and he will rip a 100-mile-an-hour cannon on you. Justin Anderson, he went 5-2 and two against Denver last year. He was huge in that game. 15-7 uh, and seven overall last, last season. Another do-everything kind of guy coming out of the midfield. Uh, for UNC. And then on defense, Will Bowen, it, not huge stats against Denver. I saw that he took a shot against in that Denver game. I watched it uh, the other day. Two goals or two ground balls uh, caused turnover in their last meeting on the season, though. 16 ground balls, eight caused turnovers in seven starts. Kid's a junior from a school perspective and actually is going to graduate. So he's technically going to graduate and is a senior from a school perspective, but he is still only a freshman from an eligibility standpoint because of an injury his freshman year. COVID season is sophomore year, is redshirt freshman year. So now he's still a freshman from an eligibility standpoint, but he's going to be a graduate student at, uh, I think, Georgetown is where he picked. So he needs to just play good. Uh, they're going to avoid him a little bit, I think, overall, but they, they not enough. So he's going to end up guarding someone who's really solid that's going to want to go to the goal. He has to play good. I, I predict they'll probably put him on Jackson Morrill would be my best guess. And then in cage, it's going to be important here that Caton Johnson plays tough. Nine saves, 13 goals against last year against Denver, 41%. He still won the goalie bat battle because Thompson played terrible as well as whoever else played goalie for uh, Denver last year against UNC. But Caton Johnson needs to be better. Last year, 46.2%. Everyone was really thinking that kid was going to get himself above 50% his sophomore year. And UNC, they did not play. A, a, they played kind of a crackerjack schedule. They played Hopkins and Denver, tough games, but then they played Colgate, Mercer, Lafayette, Furman, and Bryant. He needs to be better. For him to have a 46.2% save percentage before he even got into ACC play last year, he was going to be probably end up being below 45% if he kept on at that pace, and that's not going to be good enough playing in the ACC if you're a goalkeeper who had aspirations of being uh, you know, an All-American. Uh, my prediction, prediction in this one, 
I'm going to set the line for this one. I'm going to spot Denver two goals. So we're going to go UNC at minus two. And my predicted score, UNC 17 and Denver 14. I think that Denver is going to finally put some points up. UNC, of course, is going to put points up. And, uh, you know, North Carolina, they present Denver with similar problems to Duke, but they because their offensive depth is insane, but they're not, they don't have that crazy Mike Sowers Dodger. So I think that's going to be where Denver, if they, if they look, they look good on defense against Utah, they just literally could do nothing right on the offensive side of the ball. So as long as they can play like that and play good help D not get beat uh, while not get beat by Dodgers too much, giddy up. They're going to be pretty good. We have more games to rip through real quick. And actually, I'm just going to touch on these and tell you who's playing. And then we'll cover these games a little bit more in Saturday morning's live stream at 10 a.m. this weekend. So if I go down here, we've got on. uh, So all this kicks off with Duke Denver at 3 p.m. The happy hour game on Friday of this week, uh, Friday, February 5th. And then we have uh, Saturday games. We have Bellarmine hosting Utah, 12 o'clock. We have Mercer hosting Lenoir Ryan at 4 o'clock, and then the UVA-Towson game is at 4 o'clock on Saturday. And then Sunday, we have North Carolina-Denver at 11 a.m. that morning, Sunday morning, and then we have Duke and Robert Morris at 4 p.m. It looks like the North Carolina-Denver game is going to be on ESPNU. I think the Duke-Denver game is going to be on the ACC network, maybe only the app, I'm not sure. And then I think the UVA-Towson game is also going to be on the ACC network. So... That's it, guys. We've got a bunch of lacrosse to watch this weekend. I don't really have anything else to say because I think I've already been talking a really long time. We have the Saturday morning 10 a.m. live stream where we'll talk about all these games again, but I will go a little bit deeper into Mercer, uh, Lenoir Rhine, as well as the Bellarmine game and the Duke-Robert Morris game. We'll talk about the games I didn't talk about a little bit on Saturday. We'll field questions from all you guys. We had a killer um, uh, live... uh, live stream last week. And we had, I think at one point, 64 people was the max watching. Uh, I might be wrong. It might've been only been 54 people at, at one point, but before it even ended, we had 700 views uh, over the course of the live, live stream that morning. We, we ended up going from about 10 AM to about 11. So probably try to give myself a little bit more time before the UNC uh, game starts at 11 AM. So we'll probably go from about 10 AM to about 1045 or so Saturday morning, 10 AM this Saturday morning, 10 AM live stream, youtube.com forward slash lax factor as always be sure to like subscribe hit the notification bell you can go to laxfactor.com support us that way get uh, some swag share this video with everybody that you know if you like the audio version go to anchor.fm forward slash lax factor or anywhere where you get podcasts if you are listening and you want to listen or watch the video version come to youtube.com forward slash lax factor And uh, that is it. I will be back Saturday morning, 10 a.m. And then again, Sunday morning with the recaps from the weekend's games. And that is it. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. And Hoost is out.